Let us turn our attention now to the Word of God. We'll be looking at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, starting at verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his head or eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. Y'all packed it in here. There was nobody in here when I first got here. It's awesome. Uh, greetings from Memphis. It's always good to come to Oxford. It feels like a little house on the prairie here compared to Memphis. Um, it's fun. It's true. It's true. I uh, just finished my seventh year at RUF at Memphis. Um, and I, I just, I wouldn't be doing RUF if it wasn't for Les, who convinced my wife uh, to, to do this ministry. I remember years ago coming here um, to Oxford when he was here and walking the campus and talking about RUF and uh, he convinced me but then my wife wasn't ready so it was like 10 years later I got a phone call from him and um, he he told me I should do this thing so here I am it's his fault and uh, and I love what I get to do and I I do thank you all for for supporting RUF so well loving Austin Brash so much Um, here like I, I love hearing um, about how y'all care for him. Um, I do want to, again, just plug him. Take him to play golf. Take him to lunch. Get to know him. He's a great, he's a great dude. He's a genius. Uh, so we're looking at this, uh, at this passage. Let me pray for us as we jump in. Father, I do thank you for this morning. We, we do come um, here pining and poor and needy. And, and we, we need to hear from you. We need your word. Encourage us by your word. We thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing how often Jesus Christ teaches on mercy throughout the Gospels. And it's truly amazing how often through the Gospels, Jesus teaches uh, mercy in the face of unrighteousness. And also how he is trying to preach to and get under the skin of those who are trusting or who are confident in their own righteousness. Uh, and he's constantly coming back to this over and over again. Apparently, it's a hard lesson to learn. We all play the game of trying to think well of ourselves, the game of trying to establish our own righteousness, the game of confidence in ourselves. It's a game, a, a game of trying to be good enough, right? It's the game of trying to be good enough. It's a game that I can't quit. It's a game that sticks so close to me. It's like hunting with someone who thinks he's a hunter, 
but he's never hunted in his life. Really, that was me years ago. I remember going to Jackson, Mississippi. Uh, I think everybody in Mississippi hunts. Uh, but I remember going to Jackson to seminary, and a friend of mine asked me if I hunted. And I remembered uh, the, that BB gun I had in my grandmother's backyard and a couple of kills I had back there in the city. Um, yeah, it's kind of this big hunter. Uh, and, and, and I was like, sure, yeah, like I hunt, like all real men hunt, right? Uh, and so he invited me to go on this duck hunt, and I had never been duck hunting. And my MO is kind of like, if I don't have the gear, I'm going to go buy it. And so I'm like, you know, barely eating in seminary. And I come home to my wife with all this like camo. Uh, and I look good. Let me just say, like, I look pretty good. I look like I know what I was doing. I borrowed some waders. I didn't have a gun. My friend had a gun. Um, and so we went out. I remember going out on this cold morning, cracking through the ice on the back of this four-wheeler. was awesome. And getting in this, in this, uh, duck blind, I was about to say deer stand, and because uh, I hunt, right? <laughs> so getting in the, in the stand, and in the stand, I just said it, in the blind and sitting there, and, the, and my friend handed me the shotgun and some shells, and we were all loading our guns, and I was trying to figure out how to load this shotgun, and he looked at me, and he was like, do you, do you need help with that? And I was like, man, I, I don't, I don't, I'm, I've never had this model of shotgun before, and so... <laughs> So he, he let me, like, he showed me how to do it, so we were ready to go. And long story short, like, the, the day breaks, right? They start making all the quack noises, and, and uh, the, the ducks start flying in, and they all jump up. I jump up, and I have my gun like this, pull the trigger, nothing happens. And sat back down, the dogs got the ducks that I didn't shoot. And my friend leaned over to me and was like, hey, man, do you hunt? And I was like, Absolutely not. Never hunted. Um, and it was actually quite liberating at that point and freeing to stop acting like I knew what I was doing. It was freeing to stop pretending. I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be good enough. I wanted to think well of myself. Um, but I can't quit the game of trying to think well of myself. But I must. T.S. Eliot calls this the endless struggle of thinking well of ourselves. Let me ask you a question this morning. Like, how well are you doing? How well are you doing? How, how are you doing in your life? Do you measure up? When you look in the mirror, and, and if you're really honest, if you're really honest, what do you see in the mirror? This parable is about two different guys, two different folks. One is playing the game uh, of trying to be good enough, and the other one is a quitter. One is playing the game of trying to be good enough, and the other one quits. One is a slave of the game of trying to think well of himself and establishing his own righteousness, and the other one just quits. This, must be, this, this might be the first time you've ever heard like, the term quitting in a positive sense. Like he, he has quit the game of trying to be good enough. And it's the quitter, it's the quitter, Jesus says, goes home justified. The one that is a slave of thinking well of himself, um, the one that is a slave of thinking well of himself doesn't go home justified. Because everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. 
I have four very creative points, if you want to follow along. Um, we're going to consider quickly the setting of this parable. I think it's important. The, why are these dudes doing this at the temple? Uh, the setting, the Pharisee, the tax collector, and then some applications. Pretty creative, right? So, but before we jump in to this very creative outline, um, let me ask you this. Like, if, if we believe the truth, if we believe the truth about our sin, if we believe the truth about our sin and listen to the truth about who we really are, and, and if you look into the mirror and you're really honest with yourself in this places that you don't want to admit, look, I, I want to ask you this. Is the mercy of God going to be enough for you? Is the mercy of God enough for you? Like I'm talking about those sins you think that aren't going to be forgiven. Is there enough mercy for you? And let me tell you this morning, there is enough mercy for you. Like that's that's the crazy thing about the gospel. It, it really is that ridiculous. It's that scandalous. It's that crazy. It's big for great sinners. So let's consider this, this setting. The setting is public worship at the temple. Going up to the temple to pray is an expression uh, that refers to public worship, not private devotions. Uh, and there are two services going on daily at the temple where lamb would be sacrificed and as the sacrifice was taking place, the worshipers would gather um, to pray together. And there was this clear recognition, by, at least by, the, by these devout Jews anyway, uh, that, there, that prayers must be offered through sacrifice to be acceptable to God. And it could be, if you're, if you're kind of locked into this parable, it could be likely that while these guys were praying, that the stench, uh, the stench of burnt animal flesh and ash filled the air. So Jesus is teaching people, and Luke gives, this, gives us this narrative in verse 9, and he says, To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. And at this point, okay, before we read the next verse, like, like at this point, this could be the Pharisee, or it could be anyone who, else, who fit this category, like, this is a description of religious people, of people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they treated others with contempt. One that is playing the game of trying to be good enough. One that is playing the game of thinking well of oneself. And then Jesus puts such a person on center stage uh, in this parable, and he calls him a Pharisee in verse 10. So let's talk about this guy. Who were these Pharisees? Uh, those of us who grew up in the church, right, um, usually think of them negatively. Like if you were a little kid playing on the playground and little Johnny called you a Pharisee, you didn't like that. That was bad. You, you didn't want to be called a Pharisee. But they were highly revered and respected in their day. They were seen as the epitome, the, the typical example of holiness in their day. Uh, and we must beware of just dismissing them as hypocrites. And as a friend says, uh, even dismissing them as spiritual stormtroopers. Okay, like being a Pharisee didn't have the net of negative connotations that it does in our day. So they were known for their attention to details in following of the law. Like so scrupulous. Like they were, the, to the extent that they would build this whole system 
of extra and added laws to make sure a person wouldn't be able to break the real law. And so this Pharisee comes to public worship, and he takes part in these prayers, but he stands far off to do so. Literally, the Greek says, he stood to himself and prayed. Like he doesn't want to associate with sinners that might defile him and make him unclean by their touch. And they regarded separated themselves um, from sinners, like one of their like chief marks of their piety, one of their chief ways that they um, made themselves holy, to stay away from sinners. And the Pharisees really did act this way. Like Jesus is not exaggerating here. They would stand far off to avoid brushing up against a sinner, thus making them unclean. And so his prayer, let's just talk about his prayer for a little bit. Normally a pious, devout Jew in his prayers would thank God for his gifts and ask God to meet his needs. This guy's prayer does neither one of those things. This prayer is more like a statement to God. God, I... God, this, this is who I am, and I thank you I'm not like these other men. I thank you I'm not like these robbers and, and these evildoers and these tax collectors, all these bad people. And he is listing the people who were like the known losers of the day, the people who had bad reputations, and everybody knows it, the black sheep in the family, people who had robbed and gotten caught, people who had messed up their life, people who had abused drugs, people who, who have blown it in their life. And he's given this list of people, and he prayed, thank you, Lord, I am not like them. Thank you. That was his prayer. And let, me, let me ask you this question. Like, what does it mean to be a slave to something? To be a slave to something. My simple definition is this. It, it, it's something that owns you. Being a slave to something means it, it's something that owns you. This Pharisee is a slave to how he measures up, and it owns him. Like, it, 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 how he measures up to others, and it owns him. You know you're a slave of, of the game of thinking well of yourself. When your identity comes from um, comparing yourself to someone else, or your identity is based in who you're not, let me say that again. Look, look, you know you're a slave of playing the game, of thinking well of yourself, when your identity comes from comparing yourself to someone else or your identity comes from who you're not. Why? Because there's always someone better than you. Think about that. There's always someone better because you can compare yourself to someone else that you're better than, that your life is not as filthy as, your family is not as broken and messed up or as crazy as this family, but guess what? There is always a family that is better than yours. There's always a family that's better than yours. There's always someone better than you, and that reality consumes us. This is why we're slaves. There's always someone doing more, and there's always someone who looks better, who is achieving more, but there's always someone doing less. And it's this never-ending struggle of trying to do enough, comparing yourself to others to make ourselves righteous. Now, let me promise you something this morning. Like, you will never, this might disappoint some of you, like, you will, there will never come a time when you can say, I've arrived. 
I'm done. Like, I've arrived. There will never be a time when you can look at yourself and say, I have done enough. I am good enough. And now God will accept me. And the more and more you try, the more and more you try, the more and more bitter you become and the more self-righteous you become because you're a slave to it. This Pharisee, like, the Pharisees, they weren't, this guy, this wasn't a bad guy. Like, he wasn't a bad guy. He, he probably really thought his prayer was being helpful. Um, you see, like, that, that anyone else who would have even heard his prayer, like, would have agreed with him, would, would have thought, yeah, that, that is a good prayer. Like, that's a great prayer. Amen, Father. Maybe even give a little, like, mmm. You ever been to those prayer groups? When, that, when someone's like praying something really good. I really appreciate the people when I'm praying in the group. And they're like, mmm. Because I'm feeling like, dude, I'm crushing this prayer right now. Like, all right, thank you. I might keep going here. Maybe like, like people are hearing this prayer. And you know there were some like, mmm, back in the, in, the, in the crowd. God, I thank you. I'm not like these other people. These robbers, these evildoers, these adulterers. Or even this tax collector, say it with me. Mm. This Pharisee, like the Pharisees were moral people. They had power and they had respect in the, in the community, but they were people whose entire identity was based in who they were not. He is a slave because he is always comparing himself. Another reason this Pharisee is a slave is because he is full of religious activity. And this is what he's trusting in, and this is what actually owns him. Like, this guy's, like, Twitter uh, status would be winning all the time. Like, he'd be winning. Or, 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 if, or if you're a be real guy, like Les Newsom is. I don't know if you're being real with Les. If you don't know what be real is, it's a little app. This guy's be real or Instagram stories, or if you don't know if any of what I'm talking about, ask your grandchildren. Like, <laughs> his be real would be constantly catching him, like, praying and fasting and, like, reading the Bible. Like, he would be crushing it. He tells God and all those around him, because Jews prayed out loud, that he is doing more than God required. God said through Moses, to fast once per week, this guy does it twice. Like, the law requires a tithing of certain things. This guy gives a tenth of everything to RUF. <laughs> like, if anybody could be justified, if anybody could be justified, made acceptable or right by his own righteousness, it would be this Pharisee. He's crushing it. He's doing all the stuff and then some. He's a superstar. But here's the problem with religious activity. There's always something more to do. And there's always someone else who is doing more than you. And so it's this never-ending, and it, and it owns us, and it consumes you, and you can never do enough. And you're, and you're never going to do enough religious stuff to make you right. Look, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying uh, 
that the religious stuff we do is bad. Like, we should be doing these things. We should be fasting and tithing and, and praying. Like, those are essential things. But we can make good things ultimate things. And when those things own us and we, and we put our trust in those things to make us righteous and acceptable, we don't, need, we don't need Jesus. And that's where this Pharisee is. He is trusting in his own righteousness and all his religious activity to make himself acceptable instead of submitting to the one that can make you righteous, Jesus. It's Christ alone. David Dickinson, the Puritan, on his deathbed, when asked, how was it with his soul? He said, I've taken my good deeds and I've taken my bad deeds and I've thrown them together in a heap and I've fled from both of them to Christ. In Christ I have peace. Have you fled from the evil of your own righteousness? To use a phrase from George Whitfield, your own righteousness is evil because that is what keeps you from Christ. Isaiah put it this way, our, our righteous deeds are like filthy rags in his sight. And I'm reminded, 2 Corinthians 5.20 reminds us, look, it's only the robe of Christ. Only his robe will do. Only his righteousness will do. Which brings me to this third point. Let's, let's consider this Pharisee. Who was this guy? The tax collector was considered a thief and a traitor because he worked for the Romans. Uh, You couldn't get much lower on the social scale than these guys. They were the smucks of society. Um, They they had, uh, the Romans sold the office of tax collector to the highest bidder and they would uh, pay the taxes for the region and then have the freedom to stick it, uh, to get more money from the people uh, that they could get. And so basically they had sold out to the other side and they stuck it to their own people and they continually dealt with Gentiles, sinners, um, every day, which made them unclean, made them filthy. Today, this guy is the drunk. This guy is the girl or guy with loose morals. Um, this, This guy is the one who loves money and will do anything to get it. He's the ambitious one who loves the good life, the cheater, the partier, the misfit, the outcast, the one who smells the awkward, the unwanted, the judged. Like, do you know people like that? The marginalized, some because of their choices in life and others just because that's who they are? Like, this, this man's approach to the temple must have been a walk of shame because of who he was. He has nothing to offer and, he, and, he, and, he, and he, know, he knows he is totally unworthy. Have you ever been in the presence of someone like so great and awesome that made you feel really small and unworthy? Um, I feel like I, I drive in the Mississippi and I remember all these Mississippi things. Uh, I remember in Jackson, the, the deposit guarantee golf tournament. I don't know if that still goes on. But I remember seeing a Nicholas um, in the tournament and thinking, what if Jack is following his son? Jack Nicholas, Nicholas, the bear, the greatest golfer of all time, and showed up, first tee, there was Jack Nicholas. I walked 18 holes with Jack. So what y'all know, like, anybody else do that? 
18 holes. He didn't know I was walking with him, um, but I was walking kind of near him the whole time, and I'm super nervous. And to make a long story short, like I saw people like trying to get autographs from him. He was there to watch his son. So I waited to the very end of, of the tournament. I kind of boxed him in. I was like, can you sign this ball? And, you know, and I was like, and, and as I was handing him a ball, like the flashbacks of my own golf game, the poorness of my game compared to his game, like unworthy, like just totally crazy. Um, like, like this guy is not walking with Jack Nicholas. This guy is walking toward the temple before a holy and awesome God. He's totally unworthy. He's coming for a holy and awesome God. Like his, his body language, like he stands far off. Not because he wants to stay undefiled. He feels totally unworthy. And he is. Like he beats his breast to show it. Like that, like that's an extraordinary gesture for a man in that society. And actually, in fact, the only other place in, in the whole Bible where men beat their breast was at the crucifixion. They, they beat their breast as they, as, as after it happened. Like his body language shows that he is in utter despair. He has no hope of his own righteousness at all. If you look at his prayer in verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, the sinner. Not a sinner. Literally, it says the sinner. Like he calls himself the sinner. Like God have mercy on me, the sinner. He is not comparing himself to the Pharisee. He's not comparing himself to anybody else. He's not looking to his left or to his right. He just cries out for mercy. For God's mercy. His prayer is a quotation from Psalm 51, 13. Um, and if you remember the same Psalm says that the sacrifices that God requires are a broken spirit and a contrite, repentant heart. The Greek word here for mercy is this word atonement. Like he's asking God to make atonement for him, to make him right. The sacrifice of the lamb is going, remember, right in front of these guys. They're coming to the temple, ash probably in the air, the burn of animal flesh in the air. It's going right in front of these two guys, but it's only the tax collector who realizes the importance of it all. He pleads, he alone pleads for mercy based on the atonement, based on the spilt blood. The Pharisee feels no need for atonement because he's already righteous. And this is, what, this is what Jesus is saying in common language right here. Like, this is what he's saying to us. This man who I want you to be like is saying he is a loser. Okay? That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, this man who I want you to be like, he's a loser. And he is saying that he's a failure. And he is admitting it publicly. He's just, he's just laying it all out there. And all he is doing is crying out for mercy. He's not comparing himself to anyone else. And Jesus is saying, be like this guy. Be like him. Think about how great, how, think about how great it would be to not compare yourself to anyone else. How freeing that would be to not compare yourself um, to the people in your life. How great it would be not to hate someone for what they have or because of what they have done 
or if they're better than you, or if they're not as good as you, how great it would be just to stop all that and confess, here I am, and I'm a mess. I am a man, and I do hunt now. I just wanted to make that clear before I left. Um, I have three sons. We hunt, kill stuff. We eat it, though, for all those people who are like, whatever. And it feels good to, to tell you all that. But I, also, but I also like musicals. I do. You can judge me and be a Pharisee. But I like musicals. Like I'm known, we're known in our family, the, the bumps of music, musicals in the minivan on family trips. The Greatest Showman. We love it. And it's actually liberating to just admit that from this pulpit this morning. And this, this, I, I like musicals. Whatever. My favorite musical is Les Mis. Love it. Love that. Like it tells a story of a man named Jean Valjean, Valjean uh, who served 19 years of hard labor uh, for the crime of stealing bread. And when he is finally released, Valjean is this hardened, tough ex-convict. But one day his life was transformed by forgiveness. Um, and near the end of the story, uh, after having kept his past from those who knew him, he sings this. I'm, on, I'm not going to sing it. He, sing, he says this. He says, he sings, who am I? Can I conceal myself forevermore, pretend I'm not the man I was before? Must my name before I die be no more than an alibi? Must I lie? How can I ever face my fellow men? How can I ever face myself again? My soul belongs to God. I know I made that bargain long ago. He gave me hope when hope was gone. He gave me strength to journey on. Who am I? Who am I? I am Jean Valjean. And I've seen like 30 versions of this. And there's an old black and white version of this where he is standing before the court. And after he says, who am I? I am Jean Valjean. He starts unbuttoning his shirt and pulls his shirt open, revealing this tattoo um, on his shirt. And he says, that man bears no more guilt than you. Who am I? Two, four, six, oh, one. And you can like, at, at that point, you can just feel like the liberation that he felt from just like quitting pretending, this is who I am. My chest bears who up my past. And it was like, you can just feel it. You could feel the freedom that he felt to be honest about who he really was. Tim Keller says the irony of the gospel is that the only way to be worthy of it is to admit that you are totally unworthy of it. The Bible over and over again tells us that God delights in showing mercy. He delights in showing mercy. And here's, here's what Jesus Christ is saying about God in this parable. Stop playing games. Stop playing games. Stop trying to establish your own righteousness and come to terms Come to terms with who you really are and cry out for mercy. Jesus says, let me tell you something about my father. He loves to show mercy. He actually delights in showing mercy. Let me close by a couple of points, a couple of applications here. We'll get out of here. Look, why, why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to quit the game of thinking well of ourselves? Like, why is it so hard? For starters, it means giving up control, Right? It means we have to give up control. To appeal to or to say mercy is this like give up word. It's this rock bottom term. Like 
back when I was a kid, we didn't have video games. So we, like, the, the boys on the, on, like, we would play mercy. We'd grab each other's, the other dudes, like, showing their manhood. Like, we would grab hands. Remember this game? And we'd try to bend each other's fingers back to make the other person say what? Mercy. It was a give up word, right? Remember that game? I want to see y'all playing it later. It was, it was a give up word. It's so hard to quit because we want to have control over our lives. The Pharisees like control that they had over their world and their religion. And Jesus, this Jesus person is taking all that away by this mercy business and giving it up, giving it all to messed up people, to people who are losers, the people who, to the quitters. And he is saying, look, it's mercy or nothing. It's mercy or nothing. And this is actually good news. It's hard to quit the game of thinking well of ourselves because of fear of really being known and admitting that you don't have it all together. Look, that's hard to do. I, I know. Like to admit sin, to admit failures as a parent, to, to, to be real and honest about your struggles with fear um, and anxiety, to admit marriage difficulties, like it's hard to do but you can come clean before God. You can totally come clean before God. If Jesus is saying anything in this parable, he is saying you can come clean with God. He delights in showing mercy. Only one guy in this parable went away justified, and it's not the ones that the hearers would have um, had, had expected. You see, the Pharisees' idea of repentance was one where you had to make reparations and amends to really repent. 